Good morning, MUIDF. I'm Ty from 1201, and I'm here in the studio today with Mint from 1207. We're from the Broadcasting Club, and we're here every Wednesday from 7.45 to 8.15. So, don't forget to tune in for your weekly content and entertainment. As a reminder, if any teachers are listening at this point, we know you're in a meeting right now. So feel free to switch off the PA system in your room. You can do that using the neat little volume knob right next to one of the doors. By the way, if anyone's interested in contacting us, feel free to fill out the Google form in the homeroom hub. Or you can also contact us by Instagram at MUIDS Broadcast. Moving on, let's get on to today's announcements. So, as you may know, today is day D, December 6, 2023, which means 19 days left till Christmas. As you can see, your library is decorated with the Christmas tree and some tinsel garlands, and we might even get some secret gifts from Santa. Yeah. You know, I'm certainly looking forward to that. Me too. So, as you can see, some other classrooms are decorated too, so don't forget to check that out. And most importantly, our parents are hosting the MUIDS Christmas Carnival on December 12, 2023, from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m. There's going to be food, presents, a costume competition, student performances, and much more. So. Don't miss out on that. Yeah, definitely don't miss out. And last but not least, or at least hopefully, is something called the TGAT. I and I'm sure plenty of other grade 12s are going to be taking it this Sunday, so good luck to you all. Moving on, let's get into our content for today. Imagine that you spent over a $1,000 on a laptop, maybe an expensive MacBook, or I don't know. What laptops do you use, Smith? Um, I guess my brand is Dell or something? Okay, imagine that your laptop just suddenly doesn't pull the charge, meaning that even though you've charged it for like half a day, it ends up still not being able to be used over like 20 minutes. Without a new battery, you're practically attached to an outlet. You need to constantly be plugging it in, right? Yeah, that happens to me quite often. Yeah, and I think that it's wildly inconvenient and according to everyone else, they agree too. So, it turns out though that a battery is impossible to install in most laptops these days, at least easily, because you have to do screws, you have to go through glue, all that stuff. So, which leads us to a point. No. Currently, it's pretty much very hard to change or repair any laptops, any electronic devices, all those stuff right now. So you're usually forced to drop a bunch of money, such as, I don't know, another thousand, two thousand US dollars on a new laptop. Even though a near use, this is a near universal experience, whether it involves 
normal electronics or perhaps even your car. And of course, as products get more difficult to repair, a growing right to repair movement has been pushing for legislation or laws that require access to repair tools. And this is the reason we're talking about this actually, because last week, President Joe Biden signed an executive order that pushes the Federal Trade Commission to make third product, sorry, third party products repaired easier. But that's just part of the larger issue. So let's look into why this matters, maybe. Well, what is the right to repair? So the idea behind the right to repair is in the name. So if you own something, you should be able to repair it yourself or take it to a technician of your choice. People are pretty used to this concept when it comes to older cars and appliances. But retro-care advocates argue that modern technology, especially anything with a computer chip inside, is rarely repairable. Of course, legally, American shoppers are mostly already allowed to repair whatever they buy. And of course, those apparently quote-unquote warranty voiding stickers that you've probably seen on gadgets are bogus under the, uh, I can't read this, what is it called? Magnuson, Magnuson Moss Warranty Act. But practically speaking, of course, people are often denied the information or the parts to do so because those things are under something called an NDA, meaning that no one can talk about them. And this is where a right to repair movement comes in. The Repair Association, a right to repair advocacy group, or basically a group pushing to have right to repair, is has several policy, policy objectives, including some that can be corrected with laws and others that require small shifts in buyer's expectations. Well, those objectives are, firstly, make information available, which means that everyone should have reasonable access to manuals, schematics, and software updates. Software licenses should limit support options and should make clear what's included in a sale. Secondly, make parts and tools available. The parts and tools to service devices, including diagnostic tools, should be made available to third parties, including individuals. But by the way, diagnostic tools are tools that are used to find issues and fix them. Moving on, so the next objective is allow unlocking. The government should legalize unlocking, adapting, or modifying a device so an owner can install some custom software. Uh, of course, this is actually a very hot topic right now with Apple's App Store being put under heavy criticism, some saying that it's a monopoly, but that's a topic for another day, so stay tuned for that. Now, our final objective is accommodate repair in the design, which means that devices should be designed in a way as to make repair impossible. Yeah, this is actually the biggest one because, as you may or may not know, right now, many brands and many models of devices, although I'm naming no names, 
Most manufacturers use glue, use unremovable studs in the manufacturing process, which makes opening up these products either impossible without damaging something or highly difficult. Highly skilled people can only do it. Anyway, of course, let's get back to our topic, which are the objectives. The first two main objectives are included in the right to repair legislation proposals and software licensing or like license keys for various stuff is where the laws get strange though. But for now, there's an exemption in the DMCA, also known as the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, that makes it legal to jailbreak devices such as phones, speakers, appliances, and nearly everything else. This exemption, theoretically, that's the key word here, theoretically, allows a device to run custom software which can extend its life or functionality if the manufacturer abandons that device. Personally, I've made good use of this in some of my devices as my phones, but just because some of these modifications are legal, doesn't mean that they're all possible and manufacturers or the people who make our devices routinely push out updates to block jailbreaking. And of course, the last core idea is designing with repairability in mind and it's less about enacting law and more about shifting expectations. According to Gay Gordon Fine, Executive Director of the Repair Association, he notes that although currently proposed, right to repair focuses on the first two objectives. And quote, there's obviously a lot of the other work that needs to be done to make sure that we stop making things that can't be fixed. Um, one potential way to tackle the design problem comes from Francis Repairability Index, which assigns repairability scores in hopes of shifting buyer behavior. In this global economy, any company that wants to sell its product in France needs to submit its product scores on that index. The closest equivalent in the U.S. is the EPEAT registry, which doesn't put as robust of a focus on repairability in its sustainability scores. Repair advocates focus more on just consumer technology too, as they have also highlighted the need to repair John Deere tractors, medical equipment, and more. This topic is also very hot right now. It was also very hot during the pandemic, actually, because medical equipment was in short supply, and so were tractors. This was actually one of the factors which pushed the right to repair movement to where it is today. Also, when we were talking about the right to repair movement, some people may ask the question, why should we care? Do people even need the right to repair? Well, more and more products are easily repairable, of course, so a product may be pretty much impossible to open up without destroying it. What pointing to wireless earbuds right now, which you have to use a saw to cut open. And anyway, even though novel solutions may come up, there are no 
third-party options for parts. And this means that owners may not be able to repair their products. And sometimes, such as in the case of Nintendo Joy-Con Drift situation, a following that requires people to send their stuff in for repair may not be feasible or practical because they need to use their items. Anyway, after going on all these tangents, I need to get back to the script, right, Minnie? Yeah. Okay, she's glaring at me right now. I can, I can feel it. No, I'm not. I don't think you feel Anyway, even appliances, along with an icon of repairability, are utilizing computer chips, becoming potentially more difficult to fix down the road. So, intentionally or not, manufacturers employ all sorts of tricks that make repairing difficult, such as using proprietary screws, declining to publish repair documentation, or gluing parts together. Uh, sorry to interject. For those who are wondering, proprietary means items that aren't allowed to be sold elsewhere, like trade secrets. Wow. So, sites like iFixit, which also sells some of our favorite repair tools, have sprung up over the years to offer product teardowns and documentation for user repair. But a single company or a handful of dedicated YouTube tutorial creators can only make so much documentation to cover the sea of products that exist today. But there is hope that with increased repairability, the world will see less e-waste. You can't make them last if you can't make them work, said Gordon. Anytime a manufacturer says they are being good to the environment, and then they refuse to let you fix yourself, just cry foul, said Nathan Proctor, senior right to repair campaign director at the U.S. Public Interest Research Group. And consumer advocacy group agrees that we shouldn't be recycling usable technology. We should be, we shouldn't recycle it, but we should reuse it. And that's far better for the environment. An easy layout in this department for most companies would be offering the same way to replace the battery. As Kyle Weems, the CEO of iFixit, says, There's a lot of things we would like. But that's the one that limits lifespans the most, and I think harms consumers the most too. I would like to reiterate that all of these are direct quotes from the people in the right to repair movement, and we're using a CNN CNET article as reference. Anyway, about right to repair, let's let's think of an example. What example do you want to think of? Maybe Apple. Yeah, that's a good example. How these things tend to play out? Because sure, yeah, Apple has what? What do they call it? The genius bar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the genius bar for repairs, but not every city in the world or in a single country. Take for example, Thailand has a proper Apple store. Well, and in rural areas like I don't know, my hometown, driving to one might take hours, like multiple hours even. And after years of pushback because of this, Apple has finally opened its iPhone parts and tools 
to third-party repair shops. And of course, it extended it to MacBooks in 2020. But even then, Apple continues to make computers that aren't easily repairable by the virus after their purchase. And their repair program costs pretty much the same as getting a new device in most cases if it's a serious issue. This is where right to repair legislation would ensure that at the very least, Apple would be required to make those repair parts and tools open and available alongside with basic documentation to everyone. But that isn't to say that Apple is the only one who's in the wrong here. Queens points to Samsung as another culprit. In an unquote by Reams, he states that if you go to a local repair shop with S11, which is of course a phone model, and if you say, will you fix it? They'll say, well, we could, but it's so expensive that you don't want to bother. Weems adds that Samsung also has diagnostic tools that independent repair shops don't have access to, which gives a visual repair shops a competitive disadvantage, which is something that the FTC does not want, and that's part of why this regulation and legislation is coming up. But there's also evidence that when companies want to make something repairable, they can. Wien points out to the Surface Laptop 3, which Microsoft improved in terms of repairability with three versions without changing the core design. They just rearranged things inside the product, and they found their way to making a serviceable product. Buyers have taken for granted that what they can buy can be repaired, but that's increasingly not the case. The right to repair legislation would establish rules that pr promote repairability practices throughout industries, including computer technology, agriculture equipment, and medical equipment. By requiring manufacturers to sell replacement parts and make documentation available, such laws would also make it easier for people to extend the life of the products they buy. Yeah, that is a good point. But as with any argument, there are two sides, and it would not be good of us to not explore the other side. Okay, which is why you're posing a question. Why do people or some companies oppose right to repair? Well, of course, Facebook, Toyota, Verizon, which is a network provider in the United States, and many other companies lobbied against the right to repair movement in New York State in 2018, according to a news source called The Markup. And in 2017, an Apple lobbyist also warned that one Nebraska senator that if the state were to suddenly become a hotspot for bad actors if it passed the right to repair legislation. And one letter signed by many, fucking many, M20s industry lobbyists opposing Hawaii's SB425, which is a repair bill, of course, including industry groups such as the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers and the Consumer Technology Association, 
Alliance's main points in opposition to right to repair legislation. And mostly, they point out security risks from giving criminals access to technical information, safety risks from unauthorized repair, and risks to intellectual property. But these arguments, well, they always have counter arguments. So do your research before coming to one side or the other for this argument here. Hmm, that is a good point. Now, let's say that the industry trade group, TechNet, issued a statement in response to Biden's executive order, stating that allowing unvetted third parties with access to sensitive diagnostic information, software, tools, and parts would jeopardize the safety of computers, tablets, and devices, and put them at risk for fraud and data theft. And as a side note, uninvented means that the manufacturer has not been through the company or the third party's abilities, done training, all that stuff. Okay, continue, Mitt, please. Um, but we haven't seen examples of security risks in practice, and some cybersecurity experts disagree with the claims manufacturers are making. Paul F. Roberts, the founder of SecureRepairs.org, an organization of information security professionals who support the right to repair, says, I think there are real issues with connected device security, but the right to repair is not really a part of that conversation. He also continues that there's a lot to be done to make connected device ecosystems more secure. But the price of having connected devices can't be a monopoly on aftermarket service, parts, and repair. As a side note, many of you may have actually played Monopoly and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But for those who haven't, Monopoly is a game where you pretty much get all the money. And in this case, it refers to the fact that one company or one business has is the only business selling one thing, and of course, that's not good. Anyway, actually, you know that recently, like in May 2021, a report by the FTC, of course, you may also know them as the Federal Trade Commission, looked at many of the examples against the right to repair movement, and found that, according to them, quote, Manufacturers' reasoning, including statements about security and safety, was flawed. Based on a review of the comments submitted and materials presented during the workshop by the FCC, there is scant, meaning little, evidence to support manufacturers' reasoning for the repair restrictions. And the FTC does, however, note that. There is some room for copyright implications, though, because Commissioner Wilson and Commissioner Phillips note that the report excludes from the scope of its coverage an analysis of manufacturers' intellectual property rights, which may provide legitimate justification for some, some repair restrictions. That's the key word here. But, you know, we started with Biden's executive order, so Let's end with that, I guess. What will Biden's executive order do? Well, 
The executive order covers all sorts of consumer protections related to airlines and broadband, but focuses on only one part of the right to repair objective, independent and DIY repairs. A fact sheet accompanying the order says it encourages the FTC to limit powerful equipment manufacturers from restricting people's abilities to use independent repair shops or do DIY repairs, such as when tractor companies block farmers from repairing their 